0: Look on the back of your bulletins, you will see an outline. Hopefully next week we'll get into it. So I going to make fun of how slow I am. It may not be next week,. No. <laughs> the reason that I am taking diligence in this section is cause of the magnitude of the text. I am convinced in the years that I have been in Castle Rock, in the years that I have been involved in the body of Christ, the question that was posed by the Apostle Paul and then his answer that was given uh, is not understood in the body of Christ um, by those that are in pulpits or those who are in the pews. And I believe that it is one of the greatest tragedies that exists on the planet Earth, at least in this country. I do know that at the time that I have had the privilege to preach overseas and partake of the Lord's table, they were very much aware of what they were doing. We will partake of the Lord's table this day, and I pray that after this message, you will listen just a little bit better. When the scripture is read, we will pray and then we will read verse 6 through verse 18 of chapter 3. Father, we come before your throne. You are the author and the finisher of our faith. Father, on that cross, our Savior cried out that it is finished. Please, Lord, we who are called by your name. May we live lives in light of that. May we be overwhelmed with our mediator. Help us, Father. Help us to have ears to hear. Help us to have eyes to see. Father, help us to have hearts open to your spirit with hearty amen. Help us, Lord, to walk in a manner worthy this precious precious calling to your glory and praise amen Verse six who also made us adequate as servants of the new covenant not of the letter but of the spirit for the letter kills but the spirit gives life but if the ministry of death and letters engraved on stones came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the Face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was. How will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened, for into this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit." Well, now that we've read that, let's go back to Hebrews chapter 8. We are dealing with the message of an adequate minister. Now, contextually, I'm looking at a pastor, the Apostle Paul, who's laying this out. But when I look at the word minister, I understand emphatically that if you are saved, you are a minister in this text. It says that if you are a minister of God, made adequate by God, then you have a new covenant message. Okay. Most people think that the new covenant is promises. Okay. And I would argue that doesn't even scratch the surface. It doesn't even scratch the surface. Last week, we go to chap- Hebrews chapter 8. Okay, verse 7. For if the first covenant ha- had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. It's an interesting statement. But we looked at this last week because verse 6, he says, He, he being Jesus, obtained a more excellent ministry... A more excellent service by as much he also the mediator of a better covenant. All right. A mediator. We looked at this last week. A mediator is to equally represent the two people in a conflict. Okay, we looked at last week that you could see where Moses was a mediator, you could see where the prophets were a mediator, you can see where the priests were mediators. But the problem is, can they represent God fully? No. So you can look at the old covenant, the Mosaic law. Okay, the Abrahamic covenant has a fault to it. Because the mediators do not have the ability to represent both parties equally. So we needed a new mediator. We needed a mediator who had the ability to represent mankind 100%. But he also had to represent God 100%. That is the person Jesus. So now, guess what? You don't need a new mediator. You are under a new covenant that has been mediated one time by the person of Christ. Which opens the door to the better promises. Okay, here is the single greatest better promise of the new covenant. The forgiveness of sin to the point they are separated as far as the east is from the west. Do you ever think about that? Paul says it this way. Sin no longer has mastery over you. Because of the new covenant in the person of Christ who is now our mediator. Okay? Now let's drop down there. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. You ever thought about that? If the first covenant had the ability to completely forgive sin, then you don't need a second. You don't need a second covenant, do you? Now then, people will say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Abraham was saved by faith. Really? Could the Abrahamic covenant save anybody? How about the Mosaic covenant? So you always had the conscience. How, how does that? I don't, wait a minute. But Paul wrote to Galatians and says it was counted to him as righteousness. Sarah, ooh, you ladies are going to study this, aren't you? Sarah submitted to Abraham as unto the Lord and it was accounted her as righteousness. Righteousness, because she was just obedient to what God says. Well, this text deals with that. All right, now I want you to look at this. It wasn't faultless. Look at verse 8. For finding fault with them, he says, that'd be Christ. Finding fault with them. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a diatheke, a new Covenant, diatheke, with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. All right? The old had faults. He begins here to start quoting Jeremiah 31. The old had faults. So there had to be a new covenant. Okay? If you look at these verses, 8 through 12, you find seven factors that show this new covenant. All right? One. First factor, one, this new covenant is from God. Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will. Got that? When I will. It is based on God's sovereignty. His purpose, his plan has been so since before the foundations of creation okay so this new covenant is God's he will do it he will effect it okay but I want you to think about something for a second this new we keep saying well wait a minute when Abraham had that covenant you know he cut the bullocks up and then God put that sleep on him and he got freaked out because God was moving back and forth in between all that blood and it's kind of spooked him and hes just, he's afraid to sleep for months whose covenant was it? It's God's covenant. Who cut up the bulls? Abraham. And you don't think Abraham didn't have some problems? I think Abraham had some problems. All right. Because this next one, look down. Verse 9. It's not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. Okay? It is... Key phrase, not like, okay, it's different, not like, it is, please understand this, it is not an enhancement, all right, it is a new one, it's nature is different than the first one, it is different, so that's the second thing, third thing, sit down and think with me, if you check out on me right now, you're going to be in serious trouble Third thing, verse 8. Who's it with? Who's it with? Israel and Judah. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Anybody bummed out yet? Who's it with? Israel and Judah. Wait a minute. Then what are we doing here? I have watched people theologians do some serious yoga to try to make this sucker fit what they believe. Okay, and and you know what? I perhaps it's just my mentality or my makeup or my DNA or whatever you want to call it's with Israel. Okay, who was the old covenant with? Israel. Okay? is with the house of Israel. Okay, if you look over at verse 10, just in case you were missing it, for this covenant I will make with the house of Israel. Okay, now you got to understand, he's quoting Jeremiah. Jeremiah is dealing with Israel, the, the divided kingdom. The ten northern tribes were called Israel. Then he had Judah and Benjamin. Benjamin was so small that he just lumped it in with Judah. All right, but he's wanting... So that's the historical context of Jeremiah's teaching. All right? Everybody with me so far? God has never made covenant with Gentiles. Okay? Old Testament, New Testament has never made covenant with Gentiles. I have my people. I chose you. Guess what? That's Israel. That's Israel. I remember, was it? They were celebrating the Jubilee 98, I think it was, for the establishment of Israel. They call it the Jubilee celebration. And all the Christian leaders were telling Christians to go over and celebrate the Jubilee celebration of Israel. I thought, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life. God has never promised me a Gentile land never has now he has Israel but I ain't never been promised land write this verse down you can go look at it later Jesus speaking John chapter 4 verse 22 422, the gospel of John. Salvation is from the Jews. Now, I want you to understand something. The covenant does not leave the Gentiles out. Okay? If you go look back to the history of Israel, when the temple was in um, operation, the house of God was there on the temple mound you will see something that will fascinate. I remember when I first stumbled into it, it just fascinated the stew out of me. They call it the court of the Gentiles. You know what's amazing about the court of the Gentiles? It was closer to God than the court of the Jewish women. You had the holy of holies. Then you had the holy place. You had the altar. Then you had the court of the Jews. Then you had the court of the Gentiles. Did you find that fascinating? Somebody say amen. Okay. All right. Good job. I love it when we follow so closely behind. Okay. All the way back to the Abrahamic covenant, which is before the Mosaic covenant, God's promise to Abraham was, I am going to bring a people through the loins of Abraham in which the people shall of all nations on earth be blessed. So God makes covenant with people and the covenant is not exclusive to just those people. They are just the people who represent Him to the rest of the world on behalf of the covenant. Did we get that? Well, but I don't... Okay, let me show you something. Let's see, where do I want to go? Let's go to Romans 11. What do you think? Romans 11 sounds good to you? Sounds good to me. Romans 11, pick it up in verse 11. Speaking of the partial hardening of Israel till the fullness of the Gentiles is reached. Okay, that's, that's the context of where we're doing. Look at verse 11. I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? Speaking of Israel rejecting Messiah. May it never be, but by the transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles for what reason to make them jealous. Now, if their transgressions is riches to the world and their failure is riches to the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles in as much that I am an apostle of the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry if somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. If I can show the transformed heart, if I can show the fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy that God has wrote their word on their heart. Perhaps some of my countrymen will be jealous. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from death? If the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also, and the root is holy, and the branches too. Okay. What is the root of the new covenant? You guys sing the song. It's the root of Jesse. Who's the root of Jesse? That's David. That's the Davidic covenant. Where did it start? It's this people. What people? Israel. That is the root. Who's the root? Jesus Christ. And the Father is the Vine dresser. And he says he clips off vines that reject him. And he does what? He grafts in. But who supports the grafted in branches? The root. The new covenant. See, he's saying, here's all of the symbols. And we all walk around smiling with the symbols. And he says, grab a hold of the real thing. This is the person of Christ. Your reconciliation to God came through the covenant people Israel and you have been grafted in. That ought to just fire you up. It does me in case you were wondering. See, if you go look at the old covenant, you will always see that there were God-fearing Gentiles and they signed up to obey. And that's really what it was. To the old, the old externals, the symbols. It was all external. It was religion. Christ has called you to relationship. Not relationship through me or the elders or Sunday school teachers or, you know, some, what do they call them? Parachurch organization. He called it to you. You have been grafted in because of the new covenant. We enter by faith, but we have to understand salvation came through the Jews, through the Jews. That was the whole plan. That was the message of the prophets. That was the Levitical priesthood. But any Gentile who believes becomes a true son of Abraham. Did you know that? Let me give you another text. Galatians chapter three, verse 29. Galatians 3:29 3, 3:29. 29. 3, 29. Here's what he says, "And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendant, heirs according to the promise. What's the promise? The new covenant, that is our message. An adequate minister has the message of the new covenant. You know what? Right now, technically, there are more Gentiles than there are Jews. Okay? But how did it start? There are more Jews than there were Gentiles. But Paul tells us in Romans that there's a partial hardening. But a day is coming when Israel will be saved. Okay? So when I go back to my text here, chapter 8 of Hebrews... Understand the new covenant is designed by God. Understand that the new covenant is different than the old. Please understand, it's not an enhancement of the old. It is different than the old. And the new covenant is made with Israel. Okay, fourth thing. It is not legalistic. Okay, now the reason I use that word is because one of the things I know emphatically about legalism or legalistic religion is that it is external. It is external. It is that you may see my spirituality. When you see some of the stuff that goes on in in the experiential churches, it is to show off. If you go look at First Corinthians, you will see that the people all wanted to be in the place of prominence. Let me show you how spiritual I am. And that's where you get the, the speaking in tongues and I can do this or I have prophetic this. Why? It's look at me. Okay, that is legalism. Okay, now some of you will not believe that the charismatic movement is legalistic. You think, wow, they do all kind of weird stuff. But it is to show off. It is an external thing. Please understand that. The other thing is the external can't continue. This new covenant is internal and it keeps on cleansing us from all sin. I don't have to keep going back. Look at that. All right. It's not like the one I made with the fathers. Verse nine says. And on that day when I took them by the hand, I led them out of the land of Egypt. They did not continue in my covenant. and I did not care for them, says the Lord. You know what that means? I'm done with you. See you. Bye. For this covenant that I make with them, with the house of Israel, and after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. You got that? Where does that start at? It's in the heart and comes out. That's why you look at the book of James. He says, you show me your faith and I'll show you my faith by my works. Why? Because it started on the inside and it comes out. It's internal. It isn't because people ought to read their Bibles because they have an overwhelming love for Jesus Christ, not because God says I should read it. Paul says you should pray without ceasing. Why? You should want to have continued communion with God with every breath you grace, and it should be something that overwhelms you. It should be something that is a passion for every child of God. I remember Dr. MacArthur one time told me, he says, you know what? Praying for a believer should be like breathing. Sometimes I'm aware of it. Sometimes I'm not. But I never stop doing it. It's not legalistic. Back to verse 10 again. Not only is it not legalistic, it is internal. I will put my law into their minds, on their hearts. It's permanent. It's settled. It's internal relationship, minds and heart. It is not on stone. You know, people ask me, they say, well, Terry, do you believe you have to go to church? Um, What is your other option? Simple question. What do you think you have to be at church? What's your other option? Okay. Do you understand that it is the bride of Christ that is precious, that he shed his blood for? I'm thinking if it's important to Jesus, hmm. What's your other option? Well, you don't understand. I was hurting the church. You probably deserved it. Okay? Now, there's some goofy churches out there. I'll give you that. Is that a theological term? Goofy churches? (laughs) It is now. Okay? But the truth of the matter is, I can either be in the fellowship of the saints or the fellowship of the ain'ts. And I know what they offer me. I lived there long enough. My memory ain't that bad. I can remember what it was like to be lost. I don't like it. It doesn't offer nothing. It doesn't fulfill nothing. It never brings peace. It never brings joy. It never brings love. And a few other odds and ends it don't bring. But it does keep you motivated because you're always trying to get it. And yet I can come to the new covenant and God will Put his word in my heart, and God will put his statutes on my mind, and God will overwhelm me in ways that just makes me grin all over myself. And I know that's not a theological thing. God, verse 10 says, I will put my law into their minds, and it's not on stone, it's not on paper, it's inside, it is not outside. Ezekiel said, He will plant his spirit in them, it is internal. It is not external. That's what drives me nuts today when I hear people say, "What style of worship you have?" I'm gonna start answering them this way: internal. We hide ours. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> we close the windows. But have you ever thought about that? Oh, what style of worship? What is that? That's external. Verse eleven. Six point. You guys didn't know I could do six points in one message, did you? Everybody's hanging on. Verse 11. It is personal. They shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen. And everyone his brother saying, know the Lord. For all will know me. If it's the law in us, by the spirit in us. From the least to the greatest, we will all know. Is that awesome? Think about it. Why does it say that we all have to go to college or you know, what a Bible college or seminary or any of other things? That is you will. I want him to. You know, because people say, well, how do you study? Oh, I read the Bible. But I mean, what do you the Bible. I have another book that is a cheater. I'll give you that. It's called The Treasury of Scripture Knowledge. It weighs about as much as a Buick. Um, But it's a cross-reference of every text In 66 books of scripture where it's cross-referenced, directly, explained directly, implied, implied, implicable, whatever. And you just go through it. And I mean, you can basically take the whole Bible, summarize one verse, all the words in the verse and do all this. And you go back and forth and it tells you everywhere that that appears or that thought appears. So that is kind of a cheater. But I just read it. I just read it. Why? It is the law in us. It is the spirit in us. Okay, now I want to take you on to verse 12. Because here's the difference between the two. Verse 12 I will be merciful to their iniquities. Now, I want you to read that next phrase I will remember their sins no more. You know what, brothers and sisters? This is what mankind needs more than anything else. Mankind is desperate for this. And there's times that mankind doesn't even know it. I will remember their sins no more. Why? Because of this new covenant that I will do. I will put my word in their hearts. I will put my law on their minds. And I will remember their sins no more. Do you understand that? Think about the Mosaic covenant. When did they stop? Sacrifices. When did the, the priests stop mediating on behalf of man and God? Never. Not only that, once a year he had to go in and mediate for the people who didn't even know they had sinned. Now, I want to show you a verse because this is amazing. When I hear people say, well, why didn't the church meet on the Sabbath? Or why didn't you have an altar call? Or why didn't you just fill in the blank? Okay? Because of Verse 13. When he said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now, you can stop there and say, well, but what does the original term for obsolete mean in this text? Did he mean that, you know, it would just sort of read on. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. Well, Terry, how do you know that it disappeared? Well, for one thing, there is no more holy hardware. There's no more incense. There's no more altars. It is obsolete. And when you reintroduce it, you are in fact Judaizing. This room is not the sanctuary. You are the sanctuary. Where is the word of God and the spirit of God? It's in you. I don't have to go to the Holy of Holies. Well, how do you know that it's obsolete? Listen, when Jesus gave up his spirit on the cross, there's a thing that happens that most of us miss. It says that the veil of the temple was ripped from top to bottom. The temple veil was to keep the average person from having access to the presence of God and the mercy seat. When Christ died, that veil symbolizes that access is now for you. You don't have to me to lead you through it. Christ already did. we just cannot throw our arms wide open with the externals and have it added to the authentic evangelicalism and make it better. That is what started the Reformation. You know what? Some believe that baptism is a means of grace. Others believe that baptism is a symbol of grace. Which is it? It's a symbol. It's a symbol. You guys know who the Anabaptists are? They believe that baptism was a symbol of grace. And they were slaughtered for it by Protestants. You know why? How can you be a Baptist church and not believe in baptism? I believe in baptism, but I believe that baptism is a symbol of God's grace. You have been baptized into his death to be raised to walk in the newness of life. Romans chapter six. Okay. You know what people say? Well, you're a Baptist preacher and you don't believe in I believe in baptism. Look, I got a tub. Okay, but you know what? It is nothing but your willingness before the congregation to say, I believe. Okay, if you believe, you don't need that. But you sit there and you say, Yes, Lord, I want the saints of God to know that I identify with the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism does more for me than it'll ever do for you. Sorry. It's a symbol of God's grace say that the Anabaptists died as martyrs they died for trivia no and verse 13 said it is obsolete it is ready to disappear ok now listen this is strong to a Jew ok I have a, a Jewish friend of mine who, uh, whose father was very involved with a, a synagogue up in Denver and uh, he don't come to church because this is strong this is a stumbling block to many Jews. It is extraordinarily hard for Jews and I'm, I'm talking about whether they're practicing Judaism or not. It is very hard for them to think that the Old Covenant in all of its ordinances and all of its rituals and all of its ceremonies is just a symbol. Now that the reality has come the symbols are Gone. God made it clear. He made it adamant clear. This is obsolete. This is no use. Why? He started out and said, okay, I'll just tear the veil open. Right there. Holy of Holies. The presence of God is now accessible to all. That's what that symbol is. Well, that didn't work. Okay. I'll write you a letter. I won't even tell you who the human author is because you'll think they're playing a bias. So I'll write you a letter and I'll write it to the Hebrews. Read it. You know what happened five years after the letter of Hebrews was written? The temple was destroyed. Because they just didn't get the memo. You don't need it. You don't need it. Worship done. It's finished. The sacrificial system is out. It's all gone. And to this day... It does not need to be around. Yet, 2010, the letter to the Hebrews, no temple. Men will make a new form of sacraments and ceremonies and they call it Christianity. It raises what is dead. It raises what is obsolete and it confuses the authentic Christian faith, Christian truth. The old has been totally replaced by the new. Move on over to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and it is not through the blood of goats and calves, But through His own blood, He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of the heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctified for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant. So that since a death has taken place for the redemption of transgressions that were committed under... Grab this verse. Please grab this verse. Because this new covenant does something that the old is impossible. Look what he says. Verse 15. For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant. So that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under what? The first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the internal inheritance. This new covenant is so powerful, it saved the people under the old. The old couldn't save you. The new not only saves you and me, it saved Abraham. It saved David, Samuel. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, go down the list. That's how powerful the new covenant is. That's why when he says, if the old covenant is nothing but death, and yet there's glory in it, how much more glorious is the new? Brothers and sisters, that ought to rock your universe. You know, animals can do that. I don't care how many calves you kill, goats you kill, pigeons you kill, doves you kill. High priests had to keep going in over and over, year after year, day after day. Jesus, one time, one time, went in. Why do they keep having mass in the Catholic Church? They're going over and over and over and over. Why do you do that? It is for the forgiveness of your sins. Well, wait a minute. I thought I was already forgiven. You are. Then why do you keep going into heaven mass? Well, it's for the forgiveness of your sins? What? How do I embrace that? How do I embrace? Isn't that what the priest did at the temple? Isn't it? How can you and I embrace that? Well, it's just a different way. A different way. It's external. It is not the removal of works. It is temporary. How much more does Christ accomplish in the eternal cleansing? Not only is that, he had the ability that in this new covenant to completely do away and redeem those who had followed the old covenant. Christ's death washed the sins away of even the first covenant. Let me tell you something. Nothing in the Old Covenant can do that. Nothing. It sweeps backwards throughout history that even the Old Covenant people are saved. Those who are God's. How in the world does it do that? Because if you look at the Old Covenant saints, what were they looking at? They had the symbols... Of Messiah. And that's what they focused on. They knew that the deeds weren't doing it. They saw the mediator coming. Moses looked ahead and saw Christ. He saw it for what it was. But the Jews of Jesus' day and those who confronted the Apostle Paul had taken the symbols, and instead of seeing them as that pointing to Messiah, they made their religion up of all of the symbols. And it became a mechanical religion, and the church today in Castle Rock, Colorado is crippled by it. it has become what Linsky called a surrogate Christianity. You know what? If the old things were good, even though they were symbolic, how much better is the real thing? The external, the physical, the temporary serve the purpose of God. Okay? Okay? God says, here's what it looks like. How much better will the internal, the spiritual, the eternal covenant serve his holy, eternal purposes? You ever thought about that? And yet we want to go to the symbols. We want to hang out with the symbols. I told you about the guys who's handing out the nails with that movie. They'd hand you a nail. Here's a nail. What do I want a nail for? You know, it's one of them square. Oh, what do I want? A nail? Well, it'll remind me of the cross. Really? I need a nail to remind me of the cross. I used to build houses. We used to do all kinds of nailing. All right? Never reminded me of the cross. And I was using wood and everything. Just don't do it, people. Why? Because that's an external thing. The new covenant is an internal thing that God has done in the hearts of his people. We have a better high priest. We have a better sanctuary. We have a better sacrifice. We have better promises. And not only are they so much better, they are not temporary and they're redemptive. I I know that none of you today is Sunday. None of you have sinned this day. But if you happen to, do you know it's already nailed to the cross? You know, He's already forgiven you of sins you ain't committed. Already. Because the day is young. But his forgiveness is so massive, he saved the old covenant saints. Those who looked to faith to the coming Messiah. Once for all, the forgiveness of sin. You ever really let that... Sit in and think about it. Isaac Watts wrote. Everybody here knows Isaac Watts. Okay. He wrote joy to the world. In case you were wondering. Isaac Watts. Quote. Not all the blood of beasts on the Jewish altar slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away the stain. Christ the heavenly lamb takes all our sins away a sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they. Unquote. The new covenant is the genuine, is the message of the genuine minister. It is the heartbeat. It is the blood. It is the pulse of the genuine servant of the living God. The genuine church is a new covenant church. <laughs> and that's just the beginning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the covenant in your blood. Father, thank you for allowing us the privilege and the joy of being sealed in you once for all. Father, the forgiveness of sin forever. Help us to rest in that assurance. Help us to bow our knees before that assurance. Father, as I read Isaac Watts, I think of all the religious people in the body of Christ today who are trying to mechanically reach you. Father, open their eyes that they may see Christ. Open their eyes that they may see this new covenant that you've done that you have written in our hearts that we may be overwhelmed with just the privilege of being children of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen.